The 23rd edition of the New York Indian Film Festival, featuring 35 films with English subtitles, will take place from May 11th through 14th in New York City. The festival aims to provide a platform for filmmakers and audiences to explore and appreciate the diverse cinematic voices emerging from India, showcasing contemporary Indian cinema through dramas, documentaries, and shorts. Tickets are available at nyiff.us. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish and I'm the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. The 30th anniversary edition of the New York African Film Festival opens tomorrow at Film at Lincoln Center with a showcase that spans the historic past and the vital present of cinema from Africa. Last weekend, the festival hosted a special conversation in tribute to the legendary filmmaker Safi Faye, who passed away last February. Faye is best known as the first woman from sub-Saharan Africa to ever direct a commercial feature film, which is Kaddu Bekat from 1976, but her legacy and groundbreaking influence extend far beyond that landmark. Starting out with an acting role in a Jean Rouge film in 1971, Faye went on to create a monumental body of award-winning work, including films like Selbe, One Among Many, and Mossan, which captured the agency, subjectivity, and beauty of African women and the everyday realities of rural Senegal. To honor Faye's legacy and lasting influence on African women's cinema today, the scholar and critic Yasmina Price led a roundtable with the filmmakers Nuotama Bodomo, Jessica Bashir, Akosua Adoma Uwusu, and Joanna Maccabee. We're thrilled to share the conversation on today's episode in collaboration with the New York African Film Festival. Make sure to check our show notes for information on the festival's lineup, how to get tickets, and more. So to begin, although this is a room of people that are probably unusually familiar with Safifai to offer a little bit of context, um, Safifai gave boundlessly and generously to African cinema, and any act of mourning her is also a celebration of the inheritance that she left us. She was a mother who learned from her mother, she prioritized her people, and she was a rigorously intellectual and ethical filmmaker with an exquisite eye for beauty in unusual places. Fai was born in 1943 in Fajal, a Serer village in Senegal, and educated in Dakar, where she became a school teacher. Her turn to filmmaking came through the French anthropologist Jean Rouche, and she entered cinema on her own terms with her 10-minute short La Passante, or The Passerby, made in 1972 and shot on 16mm. And I want to begin there, not just for the mechanical reason that this was her first film, but because in those first 10 minutes, her first 10 minutes of cinema, she challenges the very act of looking and cements the direction that her, filmmaker, that her method as a filmmaker would develop in. With herself as the protagonist, this short was a form of autoethnography, based on her own experience moving through Paris as a black African woman and negotiating the expectations and the attentions and the not always welcome gaze of black and white French men. Fai was a filmmaker who took the ethics of looking incredibly seriously and whose cinema constantly played across the line of being both a participant and a documentarian. Fai was also in Paris because she took on studies at the Sorbonne, and in 1979, she completed a doctorate in ethnology. 
focused on the religious and cultural practices of the Serer, so her own ethno-religious group, her own community of people. And following on from her training in film school, her works after La Passante drew on this same foundation, which is evident in the 1979 short Fajal, Come and Work, which she also made as she was finishing her PhD, as well as an earlier film that made her the first continental African woman to make a feature film. And this was, of course, the 1975 Kadou and much of her cinema honors the particularities of Serer's religious, political, cultural, and social life, defying the norms of an outside, white, Western, anthropological gaze on a lesser other she was able to document as a participant observer. And with an ethical, patient form of watching, she found a way to shift the form of ethnographic documentary away from a purely Euro-colonial and patriarchal perspective. Through this, Fai was undertaking a monumental but also a quiet form of memory work, a cinematic preservation and remembrance for tempos of life which were being affected by what was happening in Senegal as many newly independent African nation states, which was something a little bit less than a full decolonization. And what is stunning in her approach to indexing and cataloging was her look from the margins, centered on rural populations, on peasants, on women, on the young, and on the elders. This demanded a different kind of method, focused on the importance of dialogue and shared knowledge and exchanges that were more than an extractive transaction. Aesthetically, her films are absolutely magnificent. Her sense of pacing is incredibly sensitive and astute, and she truly had a gorgeously generous eye for beauty. Perhaps what's most notable in her form of looking is her attention to the cycles of daily life. Her films are filled with the rituals that make up most of live time. Meals, mundane routines, domestic chores, work songs, traditional medicine, intergenerational conversations, courtship and marriage, and simply daily cycles of existing together. And this was deeply tied to the ways she didn't have an individuated, but a deeply collective and communal orientation towards the world. Again, she began as a teacher and she never stopped being one drawing on embodied memory and oral storytelling and cultural histories and everything that was passed down between the women in her family and an expensive sense of what it meant to be educated. After her passing, she left us with so much. And I think that there is no better way to honor the richness of what she gave than to look to the continuation of that inheritance with four phenomenal contemporary black African women filmmakers. And we are very fortunate today to be joined by Joanna Maccabi, Jessica Bashir, Akaswa Adamo Owusu, and Nuotama Bodomo. Born and raised in Paris by Senegalese and Congolese parents, Joanna is a filmmaker, writer, and producer. She also worked as an assistant on feature films such as Cuties by Maimouna de Couré and Winter Boy by Christophe Honoré. She was elect, an elected member board of the board of the Le Collectif 50-50, or 50-50, aiming for more equity and diversity in French cinema. Her short documentary about Vicente Thérèse Diop, actress of the phenomenal 1966 La Noire 2 by Ousmane Samben, was selected by the New York African Film Festival and the Atlanta Film Festival and was presented with La Noire 2 for the centenary of Samben at La Cinémathèque Française. And I would like to note that I shorten their biographies because these women are absolutely incredible and we would be here all day if we were to list out their every extraordinary accomplishment. <laughs> 
And so the first clip we're going to watch is from Joanna's Not Mémoire from 2021. Not Mémoire or Our Memory. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. And I think it's really important to celebrate her and to celebrate those women when they are still alive. That's what the African Film Festival did and uh, it's still doing does right now. Um, yeah, I, sh I chose this, uh, this because uh, obviously there is um, a link between Safi's legacy and Bissin. They were contemporaries. And um, and I I know that they had like the same Mbisin is still alive, but they had the same experience being those pioneers that they were in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then and then being um, forgot by by her generation and rediscovered after. So I think like everything that Mbisin says is really like it, for me it resonates with. Safify's legacy and life um, as a filmmaker in France. Thank you. And it's also, I mean, I wish that we could sit and watch the entire film, but it's such a stunning echo of exactly the kind of preservation work that Safify was undertaking, that you are undertaking, in a real sense of a passing of the torch between women filmmakers. Um, so next, we're going to go to Jessica Bashir, um, who is a Mexican-Ethiopian writer, director, producer, and cinematographer based in Brooklyn. Her feature directorial debut, Faya Dai, premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival and screened around the world, garnering many, many awards, including the Grand Jury Prize and Fipreski Awards at the Vision du Réel, and being shortlisted for the Best Documentary Feature at the Academy Awards. Bashir has been honored with grant support from the Sundance Film Institute, the Doha Film Institute, and the Jerome Foundation. Well, first of all, thank you so much to Mahen, Dara, to the whole African uh, Film Festival team for, for having us, for gathering us in this way, for paying this beautiful tribute to um, this incredible filmmaker, Asafi Fai. I, not only that, it just, just the fact that we're gathered, you know, today here with, with filmmakers that, whose work I've been incredibly touched and moved by. They're right here next to me. I mean, that already is a testament to, to the incredible work that Safi is doing even now, you know? So, but I wanted to say for me, one of the things that um, moved me so much about Safi's work is how she sees um, so much poetry in the mundane, in the everyday, in the very little details, and especially, um, you know, focusing on um, the relationship that um, her community has with the land and, and those rituals that the land and the work of subsistence um, brings. And in those rituals and in those movements, you, you find sort of like a, um, uh, you know, just, a, you know, just a beautiful piece, piece of art, uh, just because it's truly focusing on those movements, and and the and not to mention bringing all of the, um, especially the spiritual, the folklore, that woven all together gives such a um, such a sense of life that is so rich, 
Um, so, I mean, I could go on and on about, <laughs> but uh, I think that, um, that uh, in, in, in my work, uh, it's something that I really try to, to, to bring and reflect a lot on. Thank you. And really, for anyone who hasn't seen Faya Dai, I couldn't recommend it enough because it really, your, your films and Safi Fai's, um, which were largely focused on the peasantry in Serer communities, it, you really do capture that same patient tempo of just the time it takes to do something in a way that is not sanitized that is not sped up for our convenience but is very much about honoring a kind of labor and like you're saying a kind of relationship to the land and a relationship that people have amongst each other um so thank you um and third we have Akaswa Adomo Owusu who is a Ghanaian American filmmaker and educator her work explores the colliding identities of black immigrants in America through multiple forms, ranging from cinematic essays to experimental narratives to reconstructed popular media. She screened extensively at numerous festivals and venues around the world, including the New York African Film Festival, the New York Film Festival, Locarno, BFI London Film Festival, and much more. She's also received multiple awards and grants and taught at Harvard University and the Pratt Institute in New York. And the clip we'll be showing is from the 2005 Ajube which is one of her earlier works. First, I'd like to thank um, the New York African Film Festival, Mahendara. Um, again, we've said this so many times, um, but it's just such a privilege to be back here. And, um, you know, this festival has been such a supporter of African cinema and, um, you know, pioneers like Safifai and, um, you know, emerging voices coming together. Um, I was very fortunate to have, you know, the privilege of being able to have my film programmed alongside Safi Afai um, right before the pandemic. I think it was 2018 when um, Mahen programmed um, a short film that I made. Um, it was an adaptation of a short uh, story by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. It was called um, the thing. Or, uh, it was called All Monday of Last Week, and um, I was put in conversation with Safifai right here on this stage. So it's like kind of a surreal, <laughs> kind of a, like I'm having this kind of emotional experience because I have pictures of us being here together and this sort of intergenerational exchange that we had, talking about trauma, talking about what it's like to be an African film, female filmmaker and dealing with this industry um, um, and um, the challenges that we face. And um, so I, the reason why I presented my very first film, Ajubikete, which I made almost 20, you know, almost 20 years, oh my God, 2005, um, it was at a time where I, um, you know, I, I, I am an American-born Ghanaian filmmaker. I was I'm born and raised in America, lived here all my life. And as a filmmaker, I started returning to Ghana and filming there. And um, this was the first film that I made um, shoot as sole author, producer, filmmaker, where I was in full control over the production. I didn't really care about, you know, who was going to see it. And, you know, all these kind of things didn't matter. I was really focusing on just the beauty of mundane, everyday routine. And that was something that Safi Fai was like so... Um, that was so special about her work was that she was able to, you know, tell these stories that could speak to mass audiences about 
the beauty of every day. And um, so I sort of always like to return to my past. And I think, I, you know, sometimes I make a film and I let it go because people are always like, who are your who's your audience? And I'm like, I make my films for me. No one needs to see it, you know? And um, I returned to this first film I made where I was enjoying the process of making something in collaboration with family, friends, um, without the intention of it really being seen, but just sort of, um, again, preserving this aspect of everyday routine that's so beautiful. Um, but at the same time, allowing Ghanaians to see ourselves and see how we treat each other um, uh, in the sort of social, you know, the social aspect of, uh, or social kind of these class dynamics that play out in everyday uh, Ghanaian society, uh, contemporary Ghanaian society. Thank you so much. I'm sure I'm not the only person who had chills when you spoke about being here. Like, I felt like I almost saw that scene, even though I was not there. Um, and also for speaking to and being an embodiment of um, the different ways she was an educator, the way that she taught through the way that she made films and the ability of that to be transmitted down to another generation of filmmakers. Um, and last but not least, we have Nuatamo Bodomo, a Ghanaian filmmaker of Dagaba origin. She grew up in Norway and Hong Kong before moving to New York City to study film at Columbia for her BA and the NYU Tisch School of Arts for her MFA. Her short films, Bone Shaker from 2013 and the incredible, this is not in her bio, Afronauts from 2014, both premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, while Everybody Dies from 2016 premiered at South by Southwest. She was named one of the Filmmaker Magazine's 25 New Faces of Independent Film in 2014 and is a 2019 United States Artist Fellow in Film. Her work is currently streaming on Netflix and the Criterion Channel. Um, and the clip we're going to be watching is from Braiding Three Act Structure from 2022. So I'm gonna actually going to give an intro before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to give an intro because this is sort of like a break from any work that I've made that maybe people know me for. Um, it, the work is called Unbraiding Three-Act Structure, and it's part of a lecture series I've been working on since I moved back to Ghana about in 2019. And in that series, I'm undoing and deconstructing sort of popular ideas in film theory. So some others are uh, beyond the colonial camera, and another one is looking at what it means to have a feminine gaze. Um, but in Unbraiding Three-Act Structure, I spend the first half of the, the video breaking down and undoing using the framework of braiding and unbraiding hair, uh, three-act structure. And then from having my hair unbraided of three-act structure, I start to think about other ways in which we can write beyond this sort of like Greek tragic structure that we're all being forced into. And one experiment I tried to do was, can we use sort of like Afro-Indigenous patterns to tell film stories. And so I look at whether maybe the structure that you visually see in a kente cloth could be a film structure. And so that's what, what the clip I'm going to show now. I think what's so evident in your, would you, would you still call this a film? Yeah. In your film is um, that's something that is also shared between, I would say, all of you and Safi Fai is, again, the work of being an educator, of passing on knowledge, which is especially important when you're working through 
a technology and an art form that was foundationally colonial, that was made to study and regulate and control and classify and categorize African people, not to give them a mode of autonomous expression, but in the same way as Safifai, what all of you have done is cultivate a process that allows you to do that. Um, and as I think Jess, especially you were speaking to, the extraordinary gift of the work that Mahen and Dara and everyone involved in the African Film Festival do is give a real space of caretaking and nurturing for that legacy because, you know, I think one of the horrors of um, what a lot of African women filmmakers have historically had to endure and still do is both very isolated processes of making, but also always being spoken about in these isolated, individuated, the first, the pioneer, the only, the one time, when what we can see is that what we actually have is this enormous tapestry that is shared. Um, and I wonder you know, whether that's pointing to a specific scene in one of her films, um, something through your interactions with her work, or even just as practicing filmmakers, um, you know, either speaking to the difficulties of that kind of isolation or moments of collectivity that you've found. Because while she inspired many, to my knowledge, she did mostly work in a silo, which I understand was somewhat chosen. Um, an interview I read with her said that she really considered her interior to be her compass, that she didn't like cities, she needed silence and solitude to work, but you know, what is a chosen individual practice should not be the structural way that cinema has to be made. For me, it's, um, I actually studied um, doc ethnology documentary, uh, the master degree that Jean Rouge created uh, in the 70s uh, in Nanterre. And um, it's interesting because at the beginning, Safi was using the tools of ethnography to do her films. But I think what she did and what's interesting to me and, and what I really relate to is humanize those people, those voices, and using mythology, like African mythology. I'm using archives. Um, and that's why talking to Mbisin or going to talk to Maimouna Dukure, for example, is like a way for me not to be isolated because I'm, I'm learning from them. I'm learning from their craft. I'm watching what they did before. And it was really important to me to, after studying ethnology and, and studying everything through the lens of white men, as you well said, um, it, it was really important to me to rediscover my history, my mythology, and to discover was, was what, what was made before. And um, this is how I, I saw Sam Ben's films, and this is how I started to, to do curating also. So I think in, in a way, it's not even just making films, it's also trying to discover other stuff and curating and educating yourself. This is how I am trying to relate to other filmmakers and what, what was made before me. So I wanted to say there is something that she says that um, to me resonates so much. Um, she says, I dared to make a film when she was working on Mosan. And I believe that uh, she had a lot of difficulties. I think six years went by before it was eight years. Oh my God. Okay. So that, that you know, it's so traumatizing. And I have to say that... Um, I mean, that was a long time ago, but that still happens today. I can't even imagine having made a film and 
and and have to be in in that conflict with the with the producers that wouldn't release it and so forth i mean do you understand how, what that does to your spirit as as a filmmaker and especially at that time as a black woman filmmaker who dared to make a film that always speaks to me so much because um unfortunately those practices do still persist i mean even today um I mean, here we are, I guess it, it's it's no secret that um, to make a film in Africa, to make your film in Africa as a woman filmmaker, um, uh, <laughs> to getting it funded or anything, it's this is this is no walk in the park. It, it's just uh, it's it's a it's it's a very daunting process that I feel like a lot of the times, half the time, the work has to do with. Uh, truly uh, uh, working on your spirit and so that it doesn't, you know, fall, you know, seriously. It's just so much of of that. And I think that, but that also gave um, uh, Safi, as she says, she has her inner compass because then um, when you have these people around you, how do you trust? And also because of the demands of the outer producers when I was making this film, um, one of the things that um, when I spoke with producers was like, okay, who are we exposing and what are we exposing and where is the big conflict or, you know, these were the questions and there had to be a, a drug lord for some reason that I would have to create, you know, out of the nowhere because it didn't exist. And so, so, you know, uh, these kind of demands uh, make you look inward and say, okay, you know what, I'm just going to go and do my thing. It's going to take forever, but but at least um, 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 I'm being honest with myself and with my work. Um, just to evolve from what's being said here. Uh, so yeah, in 2019 at the New York African Film Festival, Masan was screened and Safi Fai was in person. And after the screening, I got to go up to her and just, you know, fangirl. <laughs> and in, in that conversation, I was sort of lamenting to her that I had, you know, um, spent, at that point, I think it was six years trying to make one feature film that hadn't been made yet, and it, to this day has not been made. And I think in sort of that lament, she, she gave me one piece of advice, which is actually why I chose the clip today, because that this clip is the work I'm doing coming out of that advice. And she, uh, just talking about trying to make one film for so long, as like a black woman in the film industry, she said, make a lot of little films. Make a lot of small films. Keep working. And yeah, so I do want to definitely speak to that too in terms of, yeah, there's like the hardship and like the soul crushingness of being in this industry. But I think one thing that we see in her work and she definitely taught me personally is like keep that spirit alive, keep that skill being, you know, keep chiseling at that skill. It's something more active and less sort of sad. <laughs> um, and yeah, just once again, speaking to the work of Mahan and Dar and the New York African Film Festival and celebrating her and you know, projecting her in her lifetime. Just want to also give thanks for that. Yeah, same. I'll keep it brief. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, again, just to piggyback on everything that has been said. You know, it's just um, uh, in addition to this film that I made in 
2005, you know, again, similar to what Francis was saying, you know, feature film requires a lot of hands in the cookie pot, you know, a lot of people, a lot of voices, a lot of um, funding and support. And when you're, um, you know, an African filmmaker, not even from a Francophone African, let's talk about that. We can talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, like the fact that, you know, um, you know, if you're a, a filmmaker of African descent in America trying to make a film on the continent of Africa, you know, um, the uh, ways in which African, Afri the African continent is seen in in the US is very different than how it is seen out in other parts of the world. And that being said, you know, who gets seen, who gets the visibility, who gets the support um, and funding and that sort of thing. And so um, the fact that, you know, my films have, um, I had to sort of develop my own sort of cinematic language, like, um, and, um, you know, before it was such a burden as, you know, it, it can be a burden, but it's also, it was very generative to allow me to keep making work, as you said, um, and to produce short films um, every year. But again, where I had full control over the production and I could just sort of um, make films that um, sort of speak to the way in which I wanted tell my stories and um, it was sort of a way for me to just sort of insert myself in this tradition of African storytelling in this form that you know I've inherited and again play and experimentation was very important in order for me to have my sanity in order for me to like keep going and to keep telling you know, telling these stories um, and um, you know because I think what Frances was saying in her presentation and her video or in her new work um, you know there are other ways of seeing, and we can talk about that, these new ways of seeing, um, and, you know, identity isn't fixed, as, and, um, you know, cinema, it doesn't, or the structure, or the conventions of cinema have become, we've learned and been trained to see cinema in a certain way, but perhaps there's another way of seeing, um, and the beauty of African cinema and Africans is that we're, we're constantly innovating, <laughs> and we're constantly creating, um, and there's, you know, sometimes the end is the beginning, and the beginning is the end, right, and there's this back and forth between going across the Atlantic, right, and cinema has a way to be able to do that as well, or in our stories, that from our own perspective. Thank you. I mean, I immediately thought of Selbe when you said the beginning can be the end and the end can be a beginning, because I think of Safifai's very cyclical filmography that is arguably the most cyclical film. But also just thank you all so much for your candor, because I think honoring someone like Safi Fai is also not romanticizing her life and her trajectory, which was extraordinary, but was also filled with institutional blockades and pain and trauma and heartbreak, but that was also never the sum total, and she never stopped making. I mean, her body of work is absolutely extraordinary. Um, and I think to go to something you were um, tending towards a bit was, you know, she was someone who ended up being educated in France, but she returned to the continent. And that was always the heart of her filmmaking practice because it was not a documentation of the other. It wasn't just a mechanical action. This was the social reality. This was the dynamic living practice. This was just the way she lived in the world and the way she read the world back. Um, so I wonder for all of you having had to have a return to the continent or going for the first time a kind of ancestral different return, um, 
you know, either in terms of um, the kind of production structures that offered you, whether that meant sometimes returning somewhere where you had family and could call on family or, um, yeah, just kind of negotiating those geographic lags and those cultural lags, which was something that she had to do in part because like a lot of African filmmakers and especially Francophone ones, which was the most thriving arm um, of, of African cinema, was that they had no choice but to use um, French distribution, production, et cetera, circuits, because that's just where the money and the material was. I mean, we talk a little bit about just isolation, you know, filming and creating in isolation, because, you know, I went to film school in California at CalArts, and in Valencia, California, you know, it was very, it was a struggle to, you know, I didn't have a, a it wasn't like a, a film school that provided me with the tools to, um, you know, make work um, that some of my peers who attended, you know, fil uh, film schools that had formal training in film production did. So the only way that I could produce my work was to go to Ghana and work with family, friends who can put up with me and like, allow me to do what I do but um, um, that's where I got my support that's where I got sort of like the love uh, and care that I needed to um, sort of tell the stories that um, I felt were important or to preserve this aspect of, of um, you know Ghanaian storytelling that I, I felt was dying um, in this cinematic form. I wanted to say, you know, for me, there there was something always about um, every time, you know, if I thought about making a film or cinema, it had to be, you know, back home. You know, those it was it was almost like um, I don't know obvious, you know, but uh, and I tried, you know, uh, at the beginning to try to go through the. Um, I don't know, just the more well-known routes, kind of get a producer, get a cinematographer, get in, you know, all of those things. But it was not happening, <laughs> you know, so. Uh, but you know what? I have to say that um, I, I am, that was so liberating. It was just the most liberating thing because then I didn't have to, yeah, then I didn't have to answer to, um, you know, structures that were being imposed um, or thematics that were being imposed. Um, I didn't have to answer anything. And most importantly, it allowed me the, 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 the space and the time to really understand myself and my own language and develop that um, without having anyone you know, um, on, on your back right. trying to tell you, pressure you, or anything. But but beyond that, you see, not only, you know, the, the modes of production become uh, different. Well, because you're responsible for everything. Now I'm, I'm shooting, I'm producing, I'm directing, I'm the whole thing, the everything, right? Okay. But then you start realizing that even your structure has nothing to do. Like you don't want to do any three acts and nothing because that has it, it doesn't make sense from where I'm at it doesn't make sense and it's not because you can't because it's written the formula is there it's just because you don't want to because that does not speak to your experience and I think that that is the beauty and and um, um, what I see in, in the future of African cinema people going there and truly uh, responding to your own inner compass. Just as Safi, for example, she always spoke about 
um, she troubled, you know, the whole idea of, of, of genre. She's like, what is the, you know, this uh, documentary fiction or all of that nonsense, you know, cinema, cinema. And she was doing her thing in that way. So, so I, I think that's, um, uh, being able to, to do that allows you to, um, to really bring, just like Francis is doing, you know, your own language and way of seeing and, and so many exciting forms. I don't know, I'm very excited about <laughs> African cinema. There's hope. I mean, she promoted the fact that even though with all these struggles that we go through, there is hope and there is a light at the end of the t tunnel. Yeah, I guess for me, um, to the question of return, uh, return was always, I knew return was always baked into my film journey just because I was educated in New York for 10 years, but it was always towards like going back to Ghana and sort of like giving images to things I'd seen that I hadn't seen, <laughs> it already like, you know, shown visually, uh, globally at least. Um, and so I moved back to Ghana right before the pandemic happened and through the pandemic was stranded. And so I was like, you know what, this is just, <laughs> It's happening sooner than I expected it to ever happen. I will say that my, my initial experience in Ghana, I mean, it wasn't very, it wasn't romantic at all, just because Ghana can be very, like many other, I guess, well, I'll just say it, Ghana can be very uh, who you know. And so for all the sort of lip service I had and like the Western or like, you know, your American world, it meant nothing. And it was sort of like, who are you and why would you come here? And, you know, <laughs> um, but I ended up, uh, moving to Tamale, and Tamale has a very up-and-coming sort of like arts community. It's not so, so like film-centric. Um, and through like just um, about a year and a half of just like being in community in very general ways, this is very conversational, very like meeting and talking. Um, I'm cur actually currently, and it's like insane for me to say, in post-production on what will be a feature film. Um, only, and, 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 and I'm... <laughs> The reason why I'm laughing when I say that is like the Sunday before we shot, I didn't know this movie was gonna be shot. It was just like phone call after phone call, things just fell into place. And I was literally leaning on this community like, okay, you have a camera, so you're a shooter, and there's like three shooters on this film. It follows no logic of how we're supposed to shoot a film. It's a docu-hybrid film with like a very small idea that just grew and grew and grew. We shot it in three days. Um, and it's just one of those things where, for the first time, you know, I say, I speak a lot about trying to access sort of like an Afro-Indigenous knowledge in making the movies. And this time, for the first time, I was like, I channeled this film. And not just me, but just like a group of people, we channeled this film. So, and it was on, only in, in post that I was like, oh, I think this is, this is a longer film, you know, like, so just being able to work outside of all the bounds. <laughs> um, and, and in a way that's so true to just something that feels, you can use many words for indigenous, ancestral, like just all these things. Um, so yeah, don't, I don't want to like romanticize it. It's very hard to work outside of certain infrastructures, but I wouldn't, yeah, to be able to say I channeled a film is like, especially given my practice, even when I was making Afronauts, even when I was making Bone Shaker, just all these struggles that are the reason why my name can be here, 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 but this movie's not made, you know what I mean? Um, suddenly just, yeah, being out of bounds and, and also just exactly where you need to be. Support for the Film Comment Podcast and the following message come from Cinema Made in Italy, presenting La Mencita. 
Straight from its premieres at the Venice and Sundance Film Festivals, the film stars Penelope Cruz as Clara, a wife and mother in 1970s Rome struggling with the crushing expectations around marriage, desire, and gender. Her son Andrew, played by newcomer Luana Giuliani, faces a parallel struggle, searching for a language that doesn't yet exist to describe his transgender identity. Together, Clara and Andrew escape into their imaginations, doing their best to diffuse family tensions in a way that still allows them to live as they know they should. See the film that the rap calls a grand and vibrant work of art, and that Variety describes as disarmingly tender. La Mencita starts Friday, May 12th in select theaters. More information at cinemamadeinitaly.com. For me, France is like another context because... Um, in France, you have the things that there is not a lot of representation of black people in cinema in general. And uh, the return is necessary because uh, I needed to to see, like, my, my family, I, I went back and forth to Senegal and to Congo, but I needed to, to learn about the Senegalese cinema to understood to understand sorry that i could see myself in films and um i understood also that the return in the film industry was kind of a trap also cuz the industry of festival and um in france especially make that things that black filmmaker from france should do films about africa to be seen when we do films about uh, africans in france we are not seen. For example, uh, you see um, Alice Diop Saint-Omer was not in Cannes at the official selection. But this year you have this young uh, filmmaker that I love, uh, Ramata Souley, uh, yeah, who, di who did her film, uh, her first feature. She's French, she, she was born and raised, but her first feature is based in, in uh, Senegal, which is amazing. Um, but you see she's in the official competition. So there is this... Or Atlantic, Mati Diop. Or Atlantic is the same thing. So you have this thing where when you you represent black people, you can't represent black people in the French uh, society because we don't have the same history than America, you know? So for me, the, the return was kind of a trap. So I needed to to, sh to represent and to, to show in my films people in Europe, people in France. That's why I, I show Mbissin, because she's still in France. She's now living in France. Um, and that's why I'm always trying to, to make like a, a discussion between like me being in Paris, born and raised, my parents' lives. Um, so I'm always into the triangle, you know, in, in France, in, in Senegal or in Africa and in the U.S. because I think the um, American gaze helped us. It was the first black gaze that we really had um, to understand her, posi like her position in the society because the role of the new generation of French black filmmakers is really difficult. They are the first generation of Afro-French to show um, the, the black people in the French society. So it's really hard for, um, for those, those filmmakers. I'm thinking about Mati Diop, Maimouna Doucouré, and Alice Diop, and uh, um, you, you have others, Alain Gomis, for example. And I think their role is really difficult because they have to um, also to be really, to educate 
French audience and white people um, about the, the black population of France. So there is a lot of historic films. It's a lot of education. We are not yet in a, in a French black cinema where we can like just experiment that much. Jonah, what you were saying reminds me of um, a clip of an interview I saw with Safifai, where I believe she's speaking either to the time before she made La Passante or around there. And when she talks about her experience being in Paris and people coming up to her and being like, how's Africa? How's the entire continent? And I think the great strength of her cinema is that it's so specific. She's not talking about... Senegal, which is also a nation state that was created through colonial grammar. So what does that even mean? But she's speaking about the Serer people. It's not a Senegalese film. It's specifically Serer. And I think what's also really crucial with African filmmaking, but especially with an African woman filmmaker dealing with the pluralities of race and gender and coloniality and all these things, was that she both always tended to the universal. Like you can hear in the way she speaks about her film, but I think even just the... Um, the kind of universal grounding in peasants and the relationship to the land that is both, it's transferable because she's being very specific. She speaks to the universal because she is talking to something particular that she knows, which is exactly the antidote to what has always been the white colonial tendency towards it's Africa, the country. Um, and so I wonder if, yeah, if there's something um, that any of you would like to share about that idea of the specific, but I think also just because you're, you're all, both in your practice, in your films, and what you're explicitly saying, speaking to these different forms of knowledge and knowledge sharing, and um, something that's really clear in her films is how much she... Um, she honors oral storytelling as a serious form of knowledge sharing, not as only entertainment or, you know, not even as, you know, a, a beautiful practice of gathering, but but seriously, a form of knowledge. Um, and yeah, if there's yeah, if there's anything you want to share in, yeah, in that orbit of attending to the specific of knowledge sharing. I mean, I wonder, Nuotama, with you, um, you know, deciding what what could honestly function as a series of educational clips. Like that could be film 101 instead of starting with Birth of a Nation or something similarly horrific. <laughs> I guess because you've also been in a position as a formal educator. I mean, how does that task feel as someone who's both a practicing filmmaker who knows black and African cinema and the, uh, <laughs> the kind of cement wall that you need to work with? Like I'm, a, I'm an educator and I'm a teacher, and a lot of my students, especially with COVID, um, you know, students had to learn how to work and be creative with very limited resources. And I mean, with TikTok and Zoom culture and everything else, I mean, um, the possibilities of even getting seen and noticed are, are endless now. It's not just film festival, like you know, like you can you, you can make my students are making films on Zoom or um, with their family and friends in ways that like I, I think creativity has been able to expand um, with these digital tools that are available to us. We don't necessarily have to shoot on sixteen millimeter film anymore, um, um, and. Uh, um, and I think that, for, for me, I think that's what's exciting. It's just seeing, um, um, you know, what, what's to come. Um, and I guess I'll add on to that, especially when you're talking about Safi Fai and specificity. I feel like a lot of 
what makes her work so specific and maybe uncategorizable in these ways is that I think for me she operated with such a uh, certainty and confidence in her own knowledge and where she was coming from and her base. And I feel like when she's talking about what is what are these categories of documentary and fiction, when she's sort of like scoffing at somebody asking her how is Africa, it's maybe not even coming from like a sort of like intellectually structured place of like, oh, I'm going to do this and here's my mission and I'm going to do this. It's just like she's coming from such a strong, powerful understanding and confidence in her knowledge and the world she's coming from. And that is something I hope to continue to try and emulate just because even in when you talk about these lecture series, it, it hasn't been structured as like, it just comes, <laughs> you know, like, and, and it comes from, yes, like a very long being educated in a certain way and having this internal resistance to it over many years. And so, you know, there's a strong basis for where it comes from, but it's not even like a, if I were to do a film 101, I would do this. It's sort of like I have this visceral response to this where I've been forced to be, to learn something in a way that I know is untrue because I come from a base and I come from a storytelling history that is so much bigger and so much more complex than this. So why am I be even being asked to do this? And why is, do I have to be vetted in this even to be named as somebody worth, you know, exact, named yeah. as a filmmaker? So I think it's more that confidence in the other knowledge. Now, I just want to segue into, you know, to, to, um, to the specificity that we're talking about. I feel like, I mean, I'm, in Ethiopia, for example, we have over 80 ethnic groups and, and, and um, language groups. And I mean, it's just, it's a woven, complicated uh, space, you know, it's not. And so to me, when somebody says Africa, it's like, no, even where I, even where I grew up, it's like four different, in my film, there are four different ethnic groups, four different language groups, whoever knows, knows, right? But, uh, you know, these are the spaces that you're navigating. Um, uh, and each of them is responding to, um, to a very specific way in which they they um, in their relationship to the government to the subsequent regimes because the regimes obviously uh, are not treating everyone uh, equal you know so uh, it, 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 there's so much um, complication in that that I don't know how to I mean I I couldn't go and say even say I'm making an Ethiopian film. You know, this, the, I mean, in the film, you have Somali, you have Harari, you have Oromo, you have Amharic, you know, and, and each and every uh, person that is coming to the film is, is, um, is given that, that, uh, that, that respect you have to, you know, um, that space uh, to, to, to inhabit the way they do. I think what all of that demonstrates, too, is the way all of you model um, you know, what I think could be one of many ways to frame Safi Fai's filmmaking, which was a cinema of invitation rather than imposition. She wasn't trying to force a particular Serral village into her film. She was putting her camera there as a way to archive, as a way to document, as the way to be there with her own people. Um, and uh, I have a few quotes from her, but for example, one of them um, is, uh, I chose the cinema in order to relate effectively the real problems of people's daily lives, but always looking to the future. Won't these documents be necessary to my children so that they don't deny their African identity? 
The role of African cinema today is to reflect the vitality of a people, an African people in all its diversity and through this people reflect the world. So again, she was accommodating of everyone and everything, but because she refused um, to do this kind of lazy universalizing um, that comes from just, you know, what all the different profit, et cetera, motives. Um, but she was someone who held on to that inner compass and really stayed grounded in a particular ethics. And I think really what you were emphasizing was that she was steadfast. And I, I even sort of regret framing Mosan as her one fiction feature, because I think exactly like you're saying, and Jess, when you introduced that hybridity of her, the way she worked between documentary and fiction, and that's also where she wasn't alone. That's also where she was in a tradition of African filmmaking that was working through a different form of making that never ceded to this there is fiction and there is documentary and these are different modalities. It was, no, I am drawing from oral storytelling. And so none of that exists and I will draw on whatever is necessary to tell any particular story in the best way possible. Um, and I think we're gonna open it up to audience questions, comments. I don't perceive a divide in the sense that I feel like when a lot of these, I don't perceive like a strong divide, let me say, just because I feel like, you know, and whenever African films are being screened in New York, you know, it's not only African people in, in attendance. Like I do think that for me, coming to America in my adulthood, I always felt like African-Americans had such a strong sense of their roots because that had to always be named so strongly, you know? Um, I will say though that when I was moving back to Ghana and it was there was a lot of defeat in it not not defeat but there was a, a layer of defeat in it in the sense that I'd been in America for such a long time trying to make a movie that wasn't being made and I couldn't bridge that gap I think I was going I just want to name that I was going back to Ghana with this idea that there is a divide I was sensing in the diaspora and that was were you born in Babylon <laughs> and, and 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 therefore did you have a, a, a sort of realer understanding of the dynamics of Babylon to be able to make it in Babylon because I felt like I was leaving because at the end of the day me speaking like this me being so passing let's say I still didn't come from that sort of background where I understood the dynamics here to a certain level where I could crack it you know um, so I feel like I do sometimes reflect that there is that specific divide. It's not a divide of like, we hate each other, but it's a divide of like, how much do you think you can twist and turn the system to work in your favor ultimately, or to a certain extent, you're never winning in the system, you know, to a certain extent. Part of me going back to Ghana was like, I just felt like I didn't understand the system to that extent, and I never would. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want to name a divide as if we are here and there, there or whatever. Like I think that, um, yeah, I hope that answered the question. And I, um, for me, I like to think that um, maybe there is a, 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 divi a division uh, in the between the audience, but cinema is language and like cinematographer and people who work in the film industry, they, they talk to each other through films. And for example, when you, you take uh, Safi Fai's work, uh, Mosan, the DOP of Mosan was Jürgen Yorgos, who was like the DOP of Fassbinder, I think. And or, or if you take like um, Usman Semben, he talked to John Singleton in Dakar, like in the 90s, like those people talk to each other and they, they quote each other in films. So you never know, maybe you see a Spike Lee film and he was inspired by Safi Fai. <laughs> or with sure. yeah. Especially with Spike Lee. 
especially with Spike Lee. Akasu or Jess, I don't know if you want to answer, otherwise we can take another another one. Yeah. I mean, I think for France, the difficulty is that people say that the black audience is not going to cinema. So so it's uh, like um it's kind of like a um an excuse for producers to say like we're not gonna produce films made for a black audience specifically because they're not coming to see films. But I, I feel like it's changing because there's like this generation of people who are filmmakers also or artists who are also curating films. Um, I see like the guys of Jolo Films here, for example. Uh, but in France, you have a lot of people who are doing a lot of a great job uh, on curating films for black audience and bringing those people in in theaters because they don't even know that some films some films are for them. You know, um, there's a real division between. Um, film about black people made by French white filmmakers and a film about black people made by black filmmakers in France. It's really different. There, there is a whole genre of films called film de banlieue. It's like film of the suburb, like the, the neighborhoods, you know? Um, no, the project, sorry. And, uh, and those type of films are specifically about people of color, but like even like it's black people, but it's also like people from other countries. It's like, it's weird. It's, it's not even, there is not a real category, you know? And there is funding for those type of films. It's, it's, it's really weird. So, so yeah, that, that's, this is why there's a lot of education to be made. Um, and also a lot of curating. If I may just mention um, another contemporary filmmaker who's someone who could be on the stage, um, Rosine Bakam, who's Cameroonian and Bel 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 Comment dit? Bel Bel Belgian. Um, and one of the things she did with her, um, with her production company that I believe she co-runs with her partners that they started something called Caravan Cinema. So although she makes... Um, you know, her production setup is based in Belgium, and that's where a lot, you know, a lot of her films show in the West, in Europe, and the United States. Um, they have this um, roving infrastructure of caravans that they have in Cameroon, and they just bring it around. It's a projection setup so that it's she... It's like a mobile cinema. Yeah, exactly. And she's undoing that kind of monopoly on a particular geography of distribution, because it's always the question of where the films are made, but then also how they get shown, which is to say that you can have a continental African filmmaker, but their films are only being screened in the West. And I think, unfortunately, you know, that's something that's been true for Safifa in the same way as Sarah Maldoror, who's the other African woman filmmaker of that same generation, where, you know, even as the films are archived, preserved, restored, etc., it's rarely to then get shown back on the continent. And, um, and who got the rights then after? Who owns, the rights. Who owns African yeah. cinema? Thank you so much for that question. I mean, it's funny you ask, but um, you know, what I've noticed is that uh, people don't talk to me about cinematography. <laughs> No, you know, and and again, you know, who who knows why? But I'm 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 fine with it. But uh, but yeah, and and whether that is something that is reflective of of gender or, you know, who knows? But uh, but uh, but it's 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 an observation. But what I wanted to say is that, you know, in terms of 
you know, shooting my my own film, I have to say that that was precisely the act of liberation, right there and then, in in all its its uh, its, its glory in a way because. You see, once you are in that space, you know, to me, being in that space was where, um, you know, I lose the sense of time completely. I'm in another dimension where, you know, the way that reality speaks to you on a daily basis is no longer in that way. You're suspended you know, so suspended from the from the time and and the and the geographic space. Let's just say because you are seeing so much, you are seeing so many things, and and the way that that things are speaking to you, and then so you start like a, a certain kind of dance. Let's just say that that uh, uh, for me, you know, I mean, I love every aspect of the process, but that was just one of the most beautiful. Um, and satisfying aspects of that process also because that's when you are in communion, you know, with the community, with the people. That's when you're close. That's when you start receiving gifts and you notice the gifts that they're giving you. And this is the silence exchange, you know, because they're not posing for you. They're, they're just letting off their guard and letting you in. But even that, there's so much um, grace um, that goes into that. And, and so for me to, to, to witness that and to continue to be in, uh, in that gratefulness for that exchange uh, with the community and everything in every single possible way, see, th that to me is um, what makes it... Uh, worth everything just everything to be in that space in that communion with someone that is letting you in you know there's there's um uh, to me it could be the just the most romantic and just so much uh, loving uh, uh exchange that that there could be so and so uh, i mean in terms of tech you know technique i guess the camera has to be like a second nature. Like you're not thinking about like the the technical <laughs> aspects. You're you're just yeah, not. It's not foregrounded. No. As it is, maybe when you're working with like a cinematographer or something, you know. Exactly, yeah. because you don't have that break. Yeah. You know that those spaces, um, because. I'm a oh. control freak, so I have to shoot stuff myself. Because when I'm working with a cinematographer, a lot of times, again, it's about control. It's about whose film it is, and having to like, you know, you know, you're dealing with like these power structures, and you know, and I notice that when I put trust in my own uh, abilities, you know, I was able to sort of capture things in ways that even went beyond what I could even think that I could do, you know? And I think um, I think that's sort of where I relate to your work is like shooting, being the sole, you know, the author, creator, you know, being able, it's a women's, it's a it's at the women's work. It's like weaving, right? You mentioned like the tactile yes, quality, yes. right? So you're like sort of, it's a poetry that you're sort of, you know, sometimes when I'm shooting, I work in a film essay form. So a lot of times when I'm shooting, I'm writing as I'm shooting and then I have to sort of go back and then it's like a back and forth. Um, 
And um, I like that as opposed to when I feel like I have to work in this very conventional way where I have to have a cinematographer, I have to have a producer, I have to have all these things that I feel like I need to have. Everything always falls apart. Um, and um, I think there's a beauty in enjoying that process, you know, and, and putting trust in your, your abilities. Yeah. And your abilities and also but 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 beyond that is just the the person that you're filming um putting their trust Trusting in you. you. Thank you. So that yeah. they don't they don't need to <laughs> yeah. act in a certain way or yeah. that way. They're just allowing you in. Um yeah, so uh, in terms of just uh, uh, the camera being the you know, it's just part of ex an extension of your arm, mm -hmm. let's just say. And then you're just there to 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 embrace to be calm and to be able to embrace the gifts that are being given to you um and but you have to be able to have that trust and that patience to even understand the concept of gift i didn't understand it for a long time but it takes time you know it takes time trauma yeah. it takes all these things to get you know to that, to place. that place, the 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 Sufi moms uh, taught me a lot about that. Mm -hmm. About that. Um, first of all, thank you so much for your question. I went through a long phase where I was like, if I'm in a Q and A and they don't ask me anything about a creative decision I've made, I will not answer any question <laughs> about what it means to be a black woman filmmaker. <laughs> so I, I love the question, but um, yeah, for me. Um, I know so much of this panel has been like, when I move back to Ghana, but I feel like that's just what's happening in my practice right now. But yeah, so I, the biggest shift for me was like moving from trying to construct sort of African settings, but being in America. So it's like the props and the costumes and the this and the that. And then I was suddenly in Ghana and it just became about like something way more documentary based in the sense that like picking up my phone and just like recording like the act of recording became so sacred to me and it became this like and yeah completely cell phone cinematography just this relationship I had with this thing in my pocket where I was seeing something and it was a whole scene happening and just how to frame and everything like just where to put the camera and I started giving myself these challenges of I would only record for either 15 30 15 or 30 seconds or one minute and it was just a way of like the, the act of like opening up the camera just became this really like spiritual experience to like many, many levels. Cause there's several times I was in like, maybe let's say sacred sites or that was part of the situation. And I would point at something and my camera would immediately shut off. And I would be like, and I would listen, I would listen. I'd be like, okay, this isn't the time, you know? And so it, it completely changed my relationship to what it means to record. So that even if I'm on set in a more like American traditional sense, that moment of like recording is like super sacred. I totally recognize myself in everything that you said. So um, I feel like the camera was an extension for me too because I started in documentary and I was shooting everything. And I, I felt like everything was easier when I was alone <laughs> filming what I saw because when I had to explain to a DOP what I, I wanted to, to see, it was harder <laughs> to explain. Yeah, they don't understand. Well, they uh, make you second guess yourself. Exactly. So that that was really hard. But um, now I'm I'm trying to do both. I'm trying to explain. Like it, it's also interesting to confront your vision with someone else. Um, but I, I al always start by filming myself, by doing the casting myself, or by you know trying to to see what I want to I want to 
try, you know, with the, um, with the medium. For example, um, on Laundry Day, uh, the film that is uh, uh, at the, this edition of African Film Festival, I, I shot with a DOP, but I also shot some, some frame with my um, DV camera. And uh, I, I think that it's the most interesting part. But, uh, but I, I, I guess like it's a mix, it's a discussion, it's a, it's a dialogue, you know. Um, I'll, I'll stand um, and just say hi and really, really thank you um, for the reverence and the, um, I guess, the sanctity that you bring to this craft. I've never heard of filmmaking spoken of like a prayer in the way that it's been talked about here today. I heard tapestry, I heard poetry and weaving, but there's a certain spirit of the work that you do and it's very evident even in the way that you just speak about it, right? Um, and somewhat along those lines, um, I'm wondering just about care practices and um, how you keep yourself creatively and spiritually um, sourced as you do this work, as you move through these spaces of the casual violences that we face as black artists, um, as women, what have you. Um, yeah, if you can just share anything, any tricks, tips uh, that you have in terms of what keeps you grounded, what keeps you nourished creatively, spiritually, um, and or just any uh, kind of hacks along your path as a creator that you want to share in terms of like, this is my go-to, like I know I can always get some inspiration from blah, blah, blah or something. So kind of a two-part-ish question, um, maybe some options, more of a smorgasbord of answer of questions for you to choose from, um, if anything I'm saying makes sense. So thank you. Thank you for this question. I think, I think it's really, um, cinema is really spiritual, so it's really interesting that you, you say that. I feel like spirituality really helped me, like uh, meditation, praying, and also, as I said, like educa educating myself, because it's like talking to your ancestors, you know, when you see films and those people in the films and what they did, what they tried to do, you, it's, it's kind of like going back to what was there before and, uh, and talk to them and try to, to do the same or something else. Um, but also, I feel like um, I talked to a woman one day, like because um, I also do tarot cards. <laughs> at some, like, I mean, it's another way Side to tell hustle. story. I mean, and um, and I I did like this tarot thing with with a woman, and she told me like, you know, filmmakers have big egos, <laughs> like really big ego. And actually, I think you you need to have like this big ego to to be able to direct many people and to think that people will be interested about your story for one hour and a half, you know? So I, I guess, yeah, I think working on affirmation, working on my mindset and, and uh, also, yeah, dialogue, talking to what was there before and what I wanna see in the future, in the films. For me, earlier on, Yasmina, you mentioned Safify working in sort of a silo. Um, I think I think that is the biggest care I can give myself is to work away from the center, physically, perspectively. Um, and I think for me, it took a long time to understand, but the way I, I see my filmmaking now is that I'm working with a spiritual gift that has to do with sight. And when I say sight, I don't mean just ocular sight, like the physically visible. Um, and in this modern world, it gets rejiggered into like, oh, she's a filmmaker, and that's like what she does. Um, but because I, I consider it 
what I'm calling a spiritual gift, I really feel like it has to be protected at all costs. And so like, yeah, working away from the center, not just in a new center, but just in a space where nobody cares that you're a filmmaker, nobody cares about what you do. You wake up and people don't address you in, like, with your achievements involved. That is like the biggest thing I do for self-care <laughs> with my practice. And also, I wanted to add, those space are really helping to heal. I think, like, to meet people like this, to talk, to exchange about her work, it's really important to have those moments, I guess. Unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. I don't want to make this decision. Um, up there. Two more. Yes, okay, the questions. The questions have to be quick questions. <laughs> all right, let me. All right, let me get this brother right here real quick. Hi, it's not actually a question. I just wanted to thank all of you. Uh, can you guys? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? So I'm Safi's face, uh, nephew. Her mom. Oh, now y'all say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what y'all have to say now? <laughs> she was my she was my mom's big sister. So uh, and and I had the uh, I'm try I'm gonna try not to cry. Okay, I had the honor and the privilege to uh, to put her to to the ground because in Senegal, um, when you are considered as the uh, the son, the eldest son you have the privilege to help put the body to the ground. So I had that honor. Um, I was in Senegal for the funeral. So when I'm looking at this panel, at this beautiful panel, I see that the future of women, um, of cinema, women, African women cinema is bright. Uh, I, see, I see my aunt, growing up around my aunt, she was unconventional. She was bold. She wouldn't take no for an answer. She was um, original until the last time that I talked to her months ago, a uh, couple of months ago. Um, she wouldn't take her prescription medication. <laughs> she, that's how she was. And I, and I see that in all of you. And it's beautiful to see. And uh, I don't have any questions. I just wanted to thank you all for um, the legacy. This is her legacy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, give thanks for such sentiments, brother. We do have a question for one more. I'm going to get her down there. And for anybody that does have any sentiments or any more questions, um, feel free to ask after we do terminate this event because we do have to close. Thank you all very much. So thank you so much for having this conversation. I work in the duality of union work for a very long time, for over 10 years as a visionary location scout, working with many directors, finding their vision. And through that work and what I saw cultivated my voice, which I'm still developing. And I'm a film director. I had shot my first film. So what I, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so my, my question is, is that because of the 10 years or 13 years of me being in union work, I was able to pull my black women to support me, like, we, like we, to make something. So I'm asking you, what is the most successful way for where you are, how you crewed up? 
right? How did you crew up and, and just get support? And how can we be in community to be the PA for you or to be the scout for you to, you know, as we make films together? For me, I'm like, um, I decided uh, to go back to school to become a producer. Once I, I figured out that I needed to, to know how to produce my films, and I decided not to produce my film, actually, and to produce other people, oh, to produce other people, and to work uh, with other people in community. Because um, I feel like, um, as I said, a lot of, um, of the work that we see, of the girls who are here, um, we saw her, their work because of the, creator, the creators, the, the work of other filmmakers and artists. And I think we should all be artists and also we should all be producers, creators, managers, um, to our friends and to the, the, the people of the, the, the people that we love, like the, the, the work that we love, you know. So that's what I'm doing in France. I'm trying to, to promote um, African cinema and, uh, and to produce and to do co-production and to, you know, to collaborate. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. The 23rd edition of the New York Indian Film Festival, featuring 35 films with English subtitles, will take place from May 11th through 14th in New York City. The festival aims to provide a platform for filmmakers and audiences to explore and appreciate the diverse cinematic voices emerging from India, showcasing contemporary Indian cinema through dramas, documentaries, and shorts. Tickets are available at nyiff.us.